He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to A Good Talk Spoiled, podcast week 40. I'm James Richardson. I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week in studio with Bobby Donnelly and Barry O'Hanrahan. Hey, guys. Hey, James. How's it going? And again, uh, live via satellite uh, from Sweden, Alan is with us. Hey, Alan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, as always, we always start with just saying thanks for all the feedback and comments we received during the week. And again, if there's anything that you'd love to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you on our Twitter handle, which is um, at podcastgts, or our email address is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. Well, I'm pretty sure that, uh, just like me, you're probably as excited this week about talking about the Ryder Cup. But before we do that, I'm going to just move very quickly into the rules-related question. And... Um, a draw last week means the scores are currently Barry 22 and Alan 19. So I suppose it's another make-or-break week here for you, Alan. You're running out of holes, as they say. I feel like the American Ryder Cup team. <laughs> <laughs> Broken. Well, uh, keeping in, in tradition with the Ryder Cup, I, I, I decided to bring a four-ball competition question to the table this week. So uh-huh. here it is. Alan and Barry are partners in four-ball competition. Alan was practicing putts on the fourth green after Barry drove from the fifth tee. What is the ruling? A. No penalty due to rule 7.2. B. Alan is disqualified for the fifth hole, but Barry incurs no penalty. Or C. Both Alan and Barry are disqualified for the fifth hole, leading to a loss of the hole. And I think Barry is your winning. You go first. I'm going to go with ultimate pain from the rules. I'm going to go to option C. We're both disqualified and the end of a partnership of Alan and Barry in four-ball competition. (laughs) Alan? I'm going to do a bit of a Tom Watson and throw some shit against the wall and hope it sticks. And I'm going to say (laughs) no penalty. Well, uh, I can say that, unfortunately, neither of you are actually right. (laughs) Uh, Alan is disqualified for the fifth hole on the basis that he breached rule 30.3F, but Barry does not incur a penalty, so he can continue to proceed with the hole and, in effect, play on play on his own ball and try and win it. So B is the actual qu- answer to it, and it's decision 33F12 for anybody who's interested. And just because I didn't want to complicate the question any further, but in stroke play... Alan incurs a penalty of two strokes at the fifth hole, and Barry would incur no penalty since Alan's breach did not assist him. So uh, that's an interesting. Does it say anything about how angry I can get at Alan for you know messing it up so bad, or no? What would be interesting? Sure, something, Barry. You wouldn't need me. I'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 later on in the back nine where I'd screw up if I, I should, was left on my own. I should have made it the fifteenth hole, you and then he definitely have. would have made. <laughs> <laughs> Automatic loss of hole. Special option D. What would be interesting because I think in four balls there is an option for one of the people to always get taken out by the rules and to leave a person on his own. What would be interesting is if it was forces. And it was match play. I'd say you'd lose the hole then, wouldn't you? 
James is going to be rude. Next week's question. Okay. Yeah, 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 just giving it away. It yeah. may not be in the decisions, and if it's not yeah. in the decisions, I'm I not going to try and interpret. I'd, say, I'd say it would be. I'd say Alan has committed an offence, so For therefore the team. the team is gone. I'd say because if, it, if, if you're getting. Well, she says, no, I don't think it's two shot penalties in the yeah. match play. But anyway, you see, Rule 30 deals with four balls. Rule 29 deals with threesomes and foursomes. Just in case any of our listeners haven't seen the decisions on the rules of golf book, it is like a law book. It is massive. It's like the Bible. It's probably about a thousand pages long. I, I will check with, and I'll come back to you. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have the answer on that next week. Yeah. Be, I'd, say, I'd say it is disqualification anyway. Yeah, well, well, I have no doubt it's probably in the decisions mm, book, yeah. but I'll, I'll check it. Um, stop, talking, stop talking rules and let's talk Tom Watson and Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on that point, before we get there, we have to just do a very quick brief overview of the top 200. Um, Bobby, you've been looking at this. We haven't done it for a few weeks, so we thought we'd just give a very quick update. Yeah, we're in the uh, final straight now of the European Tour season. I think this weekend, and we'll come on to, we have the Alfred Dunhill, Alfred Dunhill and... I'll count up how many while you go through the... Yeah, we're working in towards the race to Dubai uh, which I think finishes in around December so we're starting to get, get towards that so therefore um, that's when we said the top 200 would end um, since we gave an update last I think it's about two or three weeks ago and um, there has been a few movers uh, in the right direction um, most notably Stephen Halpenny has had an 89 uh, ranking points jump so he's gone from uh, from 667 to 578 and that's down to Eddie Pepperell's good form recently uh, Barry O'Hanrahan actually has the second highest jump nice you've jumped 61 points but amazingly in only the way you could you've actually gone from 26 to 27 because <laughs> <laughs> Stephen who was Stephen who was behind you has jumped ahead you with his bigger increase uh, there's not much movement overall on the table uh, the top four have uh, had a bit of a move as well so the top four are James English, myself, I moved into second. Martin Sacombe's third, and Matt Ward's third, Matt Ward is fourth. We all have Eduardo Molinari, and that caused a move of between thirteen and twenty ranking points. So, um, not it, it's all tightened up at the top, and we will tweet up the latest leaderboard and when everyone's players, so you can get an idea how your fix going at the end of the season. Nine events left, so it's getting uh, squeaky bum time, as yeah. as they'd say in the yeah. Premiership. Yeah, exactly. So, and as we did mention, there's a prize for a four ball in Carton House uh, for the winner of the event. So, James English is currently in, in the, uh, what's it, the pole position? The, yeah, I was going to say, what's the cycling tour de France? The yellow, yellow jersey for it. Yeah, that's what I was going for. So, that's it. So, um, kind of a couple of interesting moves. I think with the couple of events coming up uh, in the next few weeks, with the Alfred Dunhill this week, next week, Portugal Masters, and then we have the World Match Play, so we might have a bit more movement around that. All right, well, thanks for that, Bobby, and we'll definitely uh, we'll tweet that up and, and make sure that everyone knows where they're placed. Um, I, I, I want to just touch briefly, we talked last week about the Nike driver that Rory was possibly going to put in his bag. He did put it in his bag, um, but news today that it's not going to be available for some time, Bobby. Yeah, this is our equipment update for this week. The release date has been confirmed today by Nike as January the 31st, 2015, um, which is a bit of a strange time for club for clubs to our club manufacturers to release things, because yeah, generally yeah. it's... late for Santa, isn't it? Yeah, it's generally October, November, and um, so... And I would have thought that a lot of the Nike... Um, customers would be very suitable for Santa love 16, 17, <laughs> and 18 who are up and coming Rory and Tiger fans who like that vault green lime yeah. green yellow yeah. colour like all the, the bright colours yeah. I think the, the strange decision is more that I would have thought most people would want to use it during the winter for practice for the new season and 
coming into the end of January, if you can only put the orders in then and get custom fitted, you're not going to pick it up for a few more weeks after that, and yeah. then the season will start. So, and it took Rory a day in the Ryder Cup to get used to because he was spraying it a bit at the start. So, so two days for the rest of us, and maybe a week for Barry. Then <laughs> could that be a little bit of kind of the pressure from the media just getting in his head, going, "God, maybe this is a bad decision." Like, um, it is. It seems like it's a good driver. It's already had its first pro win over in uh, on the China Pro Tour, so uh, certainly a driver worth considering if you're looking at a new one in January well that probably isn't a real one over in China everything's fake so it's probably <laughs> a knockoff well it's a good knockoff it's helped win a tournament so your man won by 8 shots so uh, certainly right. helping him on the way anyway um, I think it's, I want okay. to talk about yeah, it I, I don't know about you guys I think we've, we've led it up to it enough uh, so after four, uh, three days in golf um, in Glen Eagles the 40th Ryder Cup has come and gone Europe ran out pretty comprehensive winners in the end in Scotland over the US by 16.5 points to 11.5. So for the 10th time in 18 events, Europe have kept their hands on the Samuel Ryder Cup for another two years. And I suppose they must be fairly confident of retaining the trophy again in two years' time in Hazeltine National Golf Club. But before we get on to just ultimately why the Europeans won Barry, did it live up to your expectations? As an event? One word, yes. Yeah, very good. Very much so. I've oh. never heard one word from Barry. So, Bobby, uh, on to you. And let's basically, uh, enjoy, let's, enjoy it let, let's talk about the how How did Europe manage a absolute trancing of the I, US? I think I think there was a few things, really. I think the obvious one that they all did comparison and Watson and McGinley did it was the, the foursomes, really. We won the foursomes 7-1. Um... I think the second factor was, well, I think there's three factors in total. So we won the foursomes. Um, I think we had better players. Uh, the European players played better, scored better. And third of all, we had a better captain as well. Um, I think McGinley was undoubtedly the better captain between the two. So I think when you look at all those three um, and how well McGinley prepared going into the event, I think those three things really led to the Europeans performing better. And actually, sorry, probably a fourth thing. I think home advantage was quite a big advantage. I thought we were more resilient as players. There was more grit in across our entire team than there was the US team. They seemed to get their red on board quite a bit. And and, get, and whether it was a combination of them giving it up or us taking it as well, it's, it just seemed that we had a little bit more grit and determination in us to, to, to help us over the line in a lot of matches. Um, it showed immensely in the foursomes. I thought. Now, I think we all thought that Europe certainly gave up a few points in the four balls. Um, day one, we really should have come out of that session at worst two and a half to one and a half ahead. Mm. And, and you know, <clears throat> uh, but they, you know, they that kind of made me motivated them and got them going even more so for the afternoon foursomes. Um, so it might have been a blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about the foursomes, Alan. Um, it was definitely where it was won and lost. Was there anything that stood out to you in terms of the foursomes that you went, yeah, that that that's the key bit that that really swung it. Well, I think I think in the foursomes there was a number of things that um, that really killed the Americans, and I think I think it was all due to Watson. In fairness, he, if he had a strategy, it seemed to go straight out the window after the um, halfway through the four balls or something, because I suppose what he. The message that's coming out is that he communicated to all the American guys that his afternoon picks on the Friday would be heavily based on form and how they did on the Friday morning session. So then, for some reason, he didn't pick Reed and Speed, which was obviously a strange one. Um, 
um, as I said, he, he just didn't seem to he didn't seem to know what he was doing because he couldn't. Exp- I think he was asked after the first foursome session who he had replaced, who he put in instead of Reed and Speeth. And he turned around and he actually said he didn't know. <laughs> uh, and then one of the, I suppose one of the things that I found amazing is that their preparation was obviously very poor because the, a, a Jimmy Walker interview sub- subsequently came out afterwards which said he'd only ever played nine holes of foursomes in his life. And Jeez, you, would, you, you would think that you would think that Watson would know that well in advance. Like if that was McGinley, he would have known that a year in advance and he probably would have had Jimmy Walker out playing foursomes nearly every couple of weeks with somebody, you know. But I th- the other thing as well is that Zach Johnson and Kucher were paired together in the foursomes on day one, if that's correct, I think, and um, they never even practiced together in, in practice. I think it was just Mayhem. Mayhem and Johnson was on was the it? foursomes. He, they played Rose and Stenson and you're one, two, and Johnson one. Yeah. No, in the, yeah, in the afternoon foursomes, Johnson and Kucher played together and they never practiced at all. Yeah, in the whole in the three practice days, so so something like that's very obvious. But I think we were discussing it beforehand that they picked the four balls and the four players that were dropped were Johnson, Kucher, Furyk, and Mahan. So he must have had a very strong idea. Well, listen, these four boys are going to get left over. So how in hell do you not have uh, Kucher uh, or sorry Johnson and Kucher practicing? Oh, cross practicing in the kind of the, the you know the four and right together and then play nine holes with each other. I mean, the, the, compare that to something. Just one thing that Paul McGinley did of the many things he did right. Every time that we saw him and McDowell played together on the European Tour this year, McGinley made sure the European Tour put them on the same tee time together. Now, I mean, that's just to get them used to each other and then eventually practicing with each other. Yeah, Alan, yeah. I think. A, I think a really one really big thing that stood out for me as well was, um, which probably hadn't been done before when before McDowell and Dubuisson went out. Uh, after the four balls, McGinley sent the two of them out to actually play the course, and they played two or three holes behind the other the other four ball matches. So they actually went out and played the course, mm. um, and it, it gave them an opportunity to soak up the atmosphere, obviously, of because the crowds were out there. I was I was actually amazed that Sky Sports didn't show them on the course. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's the first I even heard yeah, of that. Me too. I never, I didn't, I didn't realize that at all. Yeah, that he, they he sent them out. They, apparently, they were half an hour, forty five minutes behind the four balls, and they didn't play eighteen holes. Obviously, I'd imagine they went out and played a few holes, but it got them used to the foursomes kind of on the day. And it also got them used to the atmosphere and so on, and things like that were just Watson. Like it probably never even came across Watson's radar. Well, well, I think what you were touching on this Barry about G Mac and Dewey I think from very far out, McGinley had a plan that listen, I'm gonna have my. He's probably looking at well, what are my problems? What are the things that could go wrong? The things that could go wrong is I bring a couple of rookies and they totally. Pardon my language, but they totally shit their pants. And I think he had Donaldson, who was obviously worried about. He had Gallagher, who he couldn't really deal with at the later stage because he only qualified on. But he had Dubuisson as well. And as we heard a lot of it, Dubuisson as an enigma. So I think, do you remember there was a lot of talk in the lead-up to the picks that Westwood, he's he's like the next time I'm playing is the Ryder Cup. So I kind of feel that he was told from well out, you're going to be in and you're going to be playing with Donaldson. I'm going to, you're going to look after him, you're going to bring him around. I think with GMAC, and you touched on it, mm-hmm. Barry, that they played in the French Open together in the first two rounds. I think GMAC was told from a very early stage, yourself and Dubuisson are together, you're going to be the pairing. And I think that gives you huge confidence for both the players, if, mm-hmm. if you know. Now, I think this is one of the things, if we were critical of McGinley, is 
the Poulter and Gallagher, he got a lot of criticism for that on the first morning because Poulter obviously wasn't playing great and Gallagher wasn't playing great. And But I think in fairness to him is he was following this template of a senior player with a junior player and he tried to get Poulter to be, which I think is a, we probably would have all tried almost pick someone like Poulter as to be some sort of a senior player to, to mind Gallagher and it just didn't work out. But he was following a, a, a similar template throughout. Yeah, well, I, I think the Poulter experiment with Gallagher, in fairness, was probably because in the team room, they were probably quite close friends. Uh, yeah. I think that, like we talked about GMAC and Dubuisson, they clearly had the idea of, of linking yeah. the, the amateur guys or the, 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 the rookie guys rookie with, with the, you know, the more established guys who know what they were doing. It was an experiment that didn't work. In yeah, fairness yeah. to, to McGinley, but but you see when we when we all saw it, we all said uh, we all said Poulter and Gallagher, Jesus, like what's he doing? But then when you look back and the way he was trying to get the rookies to be minded by senior players, you actually see the logic to it, and it probably wasn't as ridiculous as, as it sounds. Well, I, I think the one thing he showed as well, like. That was probably his only mistake at the weekend, and the one thing he really showed was he showed loads of flexibility. He, he put Poulter and Gallagher out. He realised Gallagher was playing shite, and he benched him for the rest of the weekend. You know, he said, "This isn't working." And he was ruthless. You know, like, yeah. obviously the easy thing to do is to put Gallagher out again on the Saturday and give him another chance. But he said, "No, this guy isn't playing well." So he showed flexibility. He got rid of that pairing. He obviously it's obviously not very hard to find Poulter uh, another partner. In fairness, but when you look at Watson. Like Watson, Watson didn't show really any flexibility. Mickelson, he obviously made, a, he obviously had an idea that Mickelson wasn't going to play Saturday, and then Bradley obviously couldn't play. He couldn't find a partner for Bradley, or else if it was the other way around, he couldn't find a partner for Mickelson. Webb Simpson played one game, he dumped him. He, he just he didn't seem to have a different strategy. If, you if know, uh, something went wrong, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I kind of felt this. Watson was turning up on Friday going, right, what are we doing now? Yeah. <laughs> was starting on Friday morning. He looked like a guy who probably had just started to learn to drive on Friday and kind of went, oh, yeah, I'm not just the pretty face of the, that, that's meant to be leading this team. And it's really the, the interesting thing between you know what Alan says about Paul McGinley's probably only mistake of the weekend was the Gallagher-Bolter. I would actually go further. I think it's probably the only mistake he made in the two years that he was captain. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing the, the media stuff, which was a marked difference between Paul McGinley in the media and Tom Watson in the oh, media. God, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, every time Paul McGinley was, you know, smiling and all the rest. But I just thought that Tom Watson looked like completely out of touch. He, he, he looked like he was a guy who was being handed pieces of paper by other guys saying, here's the pairings, this is what's going on. Don't think he had a plan. Don't think he had a strategy. Where Paul McGinley had, you know, Alex Ferguson lined up. He had the team room set up. He had goldfish that were blue and yeah. yellow. You know, everything was meticulously done. Where I think Tom Watson felt looks like he just turned up for an event and didn't really realize. And Alex Ferguson was brought in to talk about when Man United are playing at home in Old Trafford and they're playing really big ties, but they're the favourites. And how do they deal with it? Mm. So it's the same message. I mean, they, they talked about in the team room that there was the big poster where I think there was a Europe, a rock with a European logo on it and a storm going on it. And he's kind of saying, you guys are going to be the favourites. There's going to be times when things start to turn, which kind of did happen a bit on Sunday for a while. And he said, you just got to you know, be the rock when the storm arrives. And Justin Rose in particular mentioned that. So it just shows that his, his methods worked quite well. Yeah, and he had... Um Sorry, um, like he he obviously had a strategy that he'd be building up over the two years. Then I thought one of the interesting things was um, 
GMAC, who he obviously had a plan all along that GMAC was only going, only going to play two games over the weekend. But he he said he knew from well over a year ago that he was GMAC was going out first in the singles. Yeah, mm. he was his man to get the point on the board. And I'd say that was obviously that probably dictated why he only played twice over the weekend. He wanted him as fresh as possible to go out there and give a bit of a beat down to whoever he was playing. There's been a lot of talk this week about uh, Phil Mickelson's comments, and we're going to come on to that in a minute. Woo! But I know, yeah. But we talk about, and, and a lot of that's been centred around Eisner's, uh idea of the pods and, and giving the, the responsibility to the players. And the one thing that shone through to me with all the European players this week was how they you know, really reveled in that responsibility. GMAC saying, I was going out number one on Sunday. It was my responsibility to get the point on the board. Rory saying, I was world number one. I was given the job to do this and I had to perform. Yeah, I think... Um I think that the one thing that McGillie was excellent at was communicating with all the players, and we'll come on to Mickelson's criticism, but he actually talked to all the players and he kept them fully involved in the process, fully, fully involved with the vice captain. I think a great example was when Henrik Stenson's back was stiff. We all heard him saying it on TV, so you kind of go, well, he's not going to play in the afternoon. And But apparently McGillie went to talk to Stenson himself, talk to Stenson's caddy, talk to Stenson's video, physio, talk to Stenson's golf coach, and talked to a couple of people in within Stenson's camp and talked to the vice captain that Stenson was associated with. So he talked to six different people and obviously then circled back to Stenson and said, listen, I've had a, a, a wide range of conversation. Your physio thinks you'd be better off. I want you fresh for tomorrow, which is I'm assuming he said. And he, he made a really well-informed decision, whereas I think Watson was kind of making a decision in his team room with the vice captains. I think the thing that kind of sh- seems to shine through for me is that they all, like, he had his plans, he had his contingencies, but all the players bought into it. They all believed in the process. They believed in his plans, and they believed that if they all executed their roles within his plans, they'd get a successful outcome as a team. So they all bought into the, the ethos of the team and executing. And I, I think he communicated those plans from a very, very yeah. early stage. Like, he, he was reported to have flown out, you know, a good few times. It sounds like five or six times to tournaments that Dubuisson was playing in yeah, to right. go to see him, yeah. get to know him, get to understand him. So I imagine every time he talked to Rory, every time he talked to GMAC, to Stenson, to all these guys, he communicated with them to say, "Well, this is what this is what my plans are for you." So I think he had told the players what his plans were from a very early stage. In terms of uh, and the point you make, Barry, I think is about the team ethos and the, the, the unity that they had. Is it a cheap and unfair attack to throw at the US that they don't have that? Particularly bearing in mind that Phil Mickelson flew in on his own Learjet without the rest of the team. He flew out today or yesterday on his own on his own private Learjet. Is this a problem for the US or is it a, just a cheap attack that we can make on them? But no, I mean, it was obvious from day one that it was kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants uh, philosophy just taken by Watson, like, oh, just, it'll be fine. I mean, speak and read after the four balls, on camera said, Watson said to all of us, the best two pairings from this morning will be going out in the afternoon foursomes. No, he said, he, was he said, just, no, he said, the pairings in the afternoon will be decided based on the morning. So, oh, based on the, so they knew in advance. Yeah, so so they have. Okay, the, well, yeah. So he they said, listen, we'll decide the pairings based on how the morning pairings go. So they had the best score, and I think it was five and four. Yeah, yeah, five and four. So yeah. they were the best Smart score by one. So they fully they went to see him to basically say what time are we teeing it up, and he goes, eh, you're not out. Yeah, and who are you by the side? And that to me, not only do those two players lose faith in their captain, but the rest of the team does as well. 
and we've just lost Alan here to a bit of tech issues. We, but I suppose the point that I was asking you, Barry, was that the team unity in, in Europe was so clear. Yeah. In America, where you have a guy coming in on a private Learjet himself, where 11 other guys, his caddies, like, I noticed all the way through the weekend, we talked and heard about Paul McGinley say, the caddies are just as important, Mm -hmm. the backroom staff, the guy who was basically, I think, darning the socks was being given a thank you. The point I suppose I'm making is, is it a cheap attack for European people to look at America and say, they don't have the unity. Do you blame Tom Watson for allowing Phil Mickelson to drop, fly in on his own? Or should it have been the USPGA, Tom Watson, saying, sorry, hold on, all 12 of you fly in together. We'll all come as a team. We all stay as a team. We all leave as a team. Well, I mean, do, do the PGA have the ultimate control or just Tom Watson in that situation? Regardless of who it is, it should be that they all fly in together. You are a team. And, that, and that's... It's, it's hard to know... How that affects everybody, you know that you know. So all of a sudden you've got this special elite player. The, the other eleven might not see him as part of the team, and all of a sudden you've got a little bit of a fracture in the team or a little bit of a split in the dra- in the dressing room. They should all have flown in together. And to answer your question, I don't think I don't think the US have an issue um, with team morale or getting together. I think they all get on very well, and I think they all. I, I genuinely believe when the players talk about how much they come together, how much they do, I think they genuinely believe it, and I think they do actually deep down have a great team atmosphere. I don't Mickelson flying in a, in and out in jet. I don't think that matters. I think Mickelson is quite a good. Um, I think he's quite a good senior influential figure within the group, and I think he is crucial to them in the future. I don't know whether his golf will be good enough in two years, but I think he is. Um, I think he. I think he. He's a. He's a very influential figure. I totally disagree with that. I think. I think Mickelson is a problem, but I suppose we'll probably come on to that a bit more. But I. I think. Um, I think the Americans are soft. I don't buy into this. They have a great team ethos, and it's to say they might have a good team ethos, but it's nowhere near the same as the European one. I think the European are a much closer team. They get on much better, and I think Brandon Chambly made a really good point after the press conference the other day he was saying that there's much more camaraderie in the European camp and they're also much more hardened players they're much tougher because they travel they've spent their whole life travelling around the world playing golf and, and travelling together and kind of nearly living together whereas the Americans are very much just come and go to each tournament um, and I think I think the Americans are soft I think they're I think they're a real soft team I think Chamley was saying that of the last 17 players to go world number one, 14 have been international players and that they're tougher. They're, they're, they're tougher under pressure. They're better players. And I think, uh, like, I know it's only, a, I know it's kind of, it nearly sounds like a stupid thing, but I, the one thing that stood out to me was, and I'm saying it to you guys the weekend, was the American guys on the first tee when they were coming out and they nearly had like six jumpers on, yeah. big massive wooden hats, <laughs> nearly had, nearly had earmuffs on, you know? They were like, they're just not. They just didn't fancy it. I didn't think, and the and the Europeans wanted it so much more. I think it's a very fair criticism that they're soft when it comes to playing in Europe. When they're getting up and it's eight degrees outside, it's dewy on the grass. They're going, "What the hell are we playing in?" I do think that's a very valid criticism that they're the soft. And the greens are slow as well. And the, yeah, the greens are slow. You can see them almost going crap. It's kind of like when we play a. a, a, a a pitch hole green I kind of go Jesus these greens are so slow and I think they are very soft when it comes to that I don't think that you know Brandon Chambly is 
view on the team, you know, the European team have great camaraderie and the Americans don't. I think it's easy to say that when the European team are winning and playing good golf and the Americans aren't doing well and aren't playing good golf. Like, I think the likes of Reed and Spieth and Keegan Bradley and Mickelson in previous years, you've shown that there is a good unity, but I just, just don't think the Americans played well enough. Well, okay, look, let's put the, the captains to one side because they didn't hit the shots, okay? They put the players out, but they didn't hit the shots. Let's let's talk. You, you said in, in, in the opening, uh, Bobby, you know, foursomes, better players, better captain, home advantage. Let's talk about better players for the moment. The Americans went in with a better average world ranking than the Europeans. Um, they are great players. There's no doubt about it. Is it that they were just simply didn't turn up? Their form was left somewhere over the Atlantic. And, you know, better players on the weekend maybe, but not necessarily better players in reality. But really when it came down to it in three days in Glen Eagles, they just they, none of them had the form. The big players didn't have the form. Well, I think if you put the American team, if you played that event in Hazeltine over the weekend, the American team's captained by McGinley, and you had the European team captained by Watson and was played in the States, I have no doubt the Americans would have won. That's my view on it. I think think that they have... I think people are talking about the influence of a captain, but I think McGinley was fantastic um, for... Uh, for the European team, and I think Watson was it definitely let them down. I think that home advantage is huge. Like I think if they played this event maybe in Valderrama and it was twenty two degrees and the greens were firm and a bit quick, I think again the Americans probably would perform better. I just don't think that as a, kind of we mentioned before, I think they were a bit soft. That's terrible preparation then by Watson. Like if that was McGinley and he was the captain of the US team, like you said, over the last couple of years he would have got them together in like all 12 or in a two or three here and brought them to a part of the states for a quick one or two day trip to play in cold windy conditions and but, with dewy greens like but, it's, but it's arguably, part of the preparation but arguably the states were there since sunday sunday so they had sunday monday tuesday wednesday and thursday to acclimatize yeah. that weather and also they came over for the british open as well so i i i don't know whether i don't think the americans would sign up as well to turn it up um, yeah I don't think I don't think the Americans would do that. I don't I don't think they'd have any interest in doing that. I think Watson would have a nightmare getting twelve guys together to come over and do that. Um, but like I, I and I don't agree. I don't agree with what you're saying, Bob, in terms of it being close or something. Like if you look at it on paper, I know the American average is better, but if you look at who the big players were on each team, like you look at Europe, McElroy, Rose, Stenson, Garcia. There's four guys in the top five of the world. Mm. Who's the big players on the US team? Phil, Bubba, like Bubba is seriously flaky. Furyk at the moment. Furyk has an has an awful Ryder Cup record, which only got worse. Um, like Johnson, they're they're big players. They're not in the same league as well to me anyway as as a Rory, as a Rose, or a Stenson at the moment. I think Zach Johnson, I don't think Zach Johnson's playing very well at all at the moment, and I thought he should have been lightly used. I thought Kuchar should have been used a lot more. Like, Kuchar went out in, in, yeah, but I think in the, in the four balls, he should have been used a bit more, because they went out their first four ball game. Now, they lost, but they were a part of that record-breaking game where it was 21 under par. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was mentioning it last week that Kuchar, I don't know if I mentioned last week, but Kuchar is, 
He's top 20 in birdies. Like, if this guy makes loads of birdies, put him out in four balls. It's fucking mm. obvious. Mm. Fjork is one of the guys who's playing who's playing the best golf for the European for the American team. And I agree, Alan, he's not a, a world star compared to some of the guys. But McElroy struggled for the first couple of days as well. But McGinley finally got him a good partner. And I think Watson made a mess of the pairings, really. You know, like, there were... He just seemed to stumble on bad pairing after bad pairing after bad pairing. And he kept making a balls with... Like, using Mickelson... He made a complete balls of using Mickelson and Bradley. Like, used him in the foursomes in the morning. Uh, and The four balls four in, the ball in the morning. Sorry, four foursomes balls in the morning, which makes sense. That's grand. Foursomes, like Mickelson hits it left, right and centre. Now, he's still one of the best players around, and he had a good round on Sunday. But take him out, like if he takes him out of the afternoon, then maybe Reed and Speed can go out of the afternoon. So mm. straight away you possibly, now I know it's speculation and second guessing it, but Reed and Speed might get a better record. Then you put Mickelson back out in the morning in the four balls with Bradley, and again you have a better and you have a fresh pairing and they're excited. And then you rest them for the afternoon and the two of them, are, they've got a bit of game time. I just think he got things wrong the whole way around. We've spoke a lot about the US. I want to spend some time looking at Europe because... Mm. I know we can say it was Watson who was there, but there was there was twelve guys. Well, maybe eleven. I'm going to have a conversation about Gallagher in a minute. <laughs> but eleven to twelve guys who who played phenomenal golf over the course of the week. Their putting when they needed to was right on 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 cue. Which player, Barry, did you see that stood out for you on the European team that was really the flag bearer for the the, the victory? Oh, that was definitely Rose. Um, and and the, the players, I saw a tweet, they were showing the inside of the European team room, they showed a picture of a whiteboard, and one of the kind of, they had kind of four, three or four kind of key things that McGinley was working on with them, and one was kind of uh, fly in a geese formation, so when, you know, when the head of the formation kind of gets a bit tired, falls to the side, another person goes to the, the pinnacle of that, you know, the, the start of the flying V or whatever. Justin Rose was the guy they wanted at the start at the head of that, and he just didn't seem to leave want to leave that position. Mm. He was he was happy to take it on, and he just played phenomenal. He was he was on another level this weekend. His game just really just stepped up, and we were talking about his iron play, saying that it was it was probably some of the best iron play we've ever seen. He probably is one of the best iron players in the world. And again, McGinley had an idea. He was going to put Rose and Stenson together. Great pairing. And he goes, geez, these guys are playing great. And he flogged them to death. He yeah. put them out all four times. And he was right to because they were playing. They were the best pairing out of the whole weekend. Until Stenson's back gave in. But like, yeah. oh my yeah. God, he would have loved it because they would have gone four for four if they played yeah. all four of the team yeah. uh, combo things together. I think the next place after that was going to be the knacker yard for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, who else, uh, Alan, stood out for you on the Europeans uh, well I know Barry doesn't agree with me but I was very impressed with um, with GMAC <laughs> um, I thought like he, he it was interesting as well because he was obviously a little bit peeved I think when he came off you saw in his interview on the Sunday that he, he was a bit upset that he didn't play either of the four balls but at the same time he kind of he still he still told the line and he like himself himself and Dubuisson dominated their two there are two foursomes games, and then in the singles against Speed, what was he? Was three? Was he three, three down, down after eight? Three down, yeah. And then he made a great put on nine for a half, I think, and then just went just went nuts on the back nine. And to turn that around, because the game was actually starting to get a little bit in the balance at that stage, there was a lot of red on the board. At two o eight p.m., the projected score was fourteen all. 
on Sunday. Ooh. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was getting very tight. It was. Stage. Spieth had a putt to go four up. Um, the only thing I said about GMAC was the putting looked a little poor on the front nine, and it was because he was three down and about to go no, four you, down. I, I, you actually said GMAC has been very poor this week. <laughs> well, he, 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 did, he did miss a few putts in the foursomes. Like, he, he got his putting together in the back nine when he was playing Speed and Yeah, he played 3-1-3. Three, three. Well, yeah. Pretty good, uh, pretty good <laughs> stats. The results don't always show the picture, you one, know. One, numbers... Uh, Listen, I bow to the numbers. He's played three and won three. It's phenomenal. I, I couldn't have missed that many putts because I think there were four or five under for their foursomes ball on the Saturday. Ah, he was just setting Dubuis on up for the putts. <laughs> do, you know, do you know who I was delighted to see who Annie, he had the winning point in the end. I was delighted to see Jamie Donaldson do so well because he's a guy who's, he's, you know, a real typical European tour guy. Uh, he's only really started to turn his form around and turn it into a top player in the last while. And apparently, in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in practice, he was absolutely powering it down the fairways. He was playing brilliant golf. And I was delighted to see him. He picked up mm. three points out of four, and his pairing with Westwood was brilliant. I, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I thought Donaldson just, it was for a guy who is through and through European, mm-hmm. you know, plays the tour all week, every week. Played the Welsh Open recently. Played the Welsh, and yeah. like, you know, I probably wasn't his biggest fan coming into the weekend. I think I saw much more personality than I'd seen yeah. previously, and I actually have to say, like, this is a guy who I really want to see mm. at the majors competing because if he plays like he did, and, and unlike say Gallagher, and I'm going to ask him the question in a minute about Gallagher, but he strode onto that first mm. tee and just absorbed it nearly in like I thought to myself when I was watching it on on Friday and Saturday that maybe Donaldson was nearly thinking to himself, I wanted take all this in because I may never be back here mm. and I'm going to just love every minute of it and I'm good enough to be here which he was and and, and his results proved it and I, I, I know I touched on it already but I think he, I think he got a lot of confidence from the fact that he was paired with Westwood from a very early stage and he almost had a big brother very experienced Ryder Cup, one of our most experienced Ryder Cup players to look after him. So I think if you know you're going out with a really top player, the pressure is less on you, but also you get a lot of confidence that the, the captain's saying, you're going to play a very key part for me, and you're going to, I'm going to put you out with one of our best players. And I think straight away, you arrive on the first team, you're kind of going, Jesus, yeah, do you know what, I'm important to this team. That's how much confidence, and I think it gave him a lot of confidence how much McGinley was kind of, you know, investing in him. You could really see it in his body language and his attitude. He kind of metaphorically embraced the whole tournament. He had a smile on his face. He was like, this is fun. I'm loving this. And in contrast, then, you see somebody like Gallagher, who was visibly white as a ghost. He was like a walking Casper. He was... The nerves were clearly there for, for whatever variety of reasons in front of his, you know in front of the, the home crowds you know he you know he got he got a captain's pick to get there and you know he's playing with Poulter as well then you know there's a lot and of pressure he seemed it seemed to just eat him up and he probably knew Poulter was chopping it around as well so he probably knew he was in yeah. for a tough day I mean but another guy I mean you wonder whether Donaldson you know a Donaldson kind of on his attitude would have counteracted that and got Poulter going or you know it just seemed like Gallagher was kind of he just kind of shriveled into his shell and you know, he was just and mate and that possibly you know, did lead to him having a pretty cat- catastrophic Ryder Cup uh, I, yeah I think Polder Polder is just playing some absolute garbage at the moment yeah, he's yeah. playing awful and I think I think that killed Gallagher to a degree like it was a great it was on paper it was a good pairing for him to go out with Polder but Polter was playing rubbish and, they, and he missed Polter missed a four footer on the first for a half yeah. and mm. that was just like set the tone just, that just deflated them straight off the bat like whereas I think if if, if Gallagher had gone out with someone like Rory or something who probably could have carried him for maybe yeah. 
four or five holes. Gallagher said himself he didn't get into it till the seventh hole, and he was six over on his own ball or something <laughs> at that stage. Well, I think a big mistake for Gallagher was not putting him out into four balls. Maybe maybe keeping him out of day one and putting him out yeah, into four balls because yeah. because his partner can carry him in the four balls and give him a little bit of time to adjust. Whereas the foursomes, there is nowhere to he hide. Was, he was four balls. Yeah, he did play four balls actually. Sorry, yeah, that was sorry, the opening you, one. Yeah. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I'm, I thought I meant uh, day two like. Um, I would have liked to have seen him go at day two, just have a bit of time to adjust to it. Um, I'm going to backtrack. No, no, yeah. <laughs> Keep backing up there, Barry. Keep backing um, up. Bobby, Bobby's really nice and might edit that out later on. <laughs> step, step out of the room for five minutes, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> into the corner. I think it's interesting. We've gone quite a long way into the European team and haven't mentioned Roy McElroy, who played all five matches. Um, one, two, drew two, and lost only one. I thought he was phenomenal over the course of the week. I thought he was. I thought he was slightly. He wasn't quite himself. I thought in the first, on the first day, even in the first couple of sessions, I didn't think he was quite at the race. There was one session in particular, and we were all laughing at his new driver, where he was hitting it left, left, left all day. Every time, I think it was the foursomes. Every time Garcia was playing, he was playing at a rough. Now I don't think I think Garcia was similar. So I thought he was off a bit, but I thought his performance on the final day was. One of the best singles performances that we've seen in a long, long time. It was, I'm world number one. I'm going to have to blow the crowd away. I'm going to get my point. And I thought it was hugely impressive. And the thing is, it was it was wasn't a, a, a you know a no hope player. That it was you know a guy who's been right up there in the majors this year. And Ricky Fowler, like this wasn't you know some 19 year old kid who didn't know what he was doing. That Rory was blown away, like. To me, he just grew into it. Maybe he was a bit nervous, but I think he was given a very big target on his back as world number one, and I think he just, you know, really lived up to it. Yeah, an interesting thing, actually, I was listening to the guys on the BBC talk, I was listening to them the other day, and they were saying that players, or teams obviously target the big players, but they made an interesting point that when you put McElroy with anybody else, you nearly dilute McElroy's powers a little bit, because... You're not playing against two Rory McIlroys. You're playing against a Rory McIlroy and a, and a lesser player. You know, so it's nearly easier to beat him when he's paired with someone. But you put him in the singles and it's head to head. You're playing the best player in the world. Do you and think? I think you made this point as well off air. On this, is, do you think that they're struggling to find him the right partner just yet? Yeah, well, like I, uh, like I suppose, who are we to question McGillney? But I think I, I was surprised with Garcia because I find. Rory and Garcia, the two of them are so highly strung, like they're, they're <laughs> Duracell bunnies, they bounce around the course, but when things are going bad, then, like, they, the, they, the two, well, certainly Garcia, like, he goes from such highs to such lows, mm-hmm. and yet, I, I would always think you'd kind of put a steady person, like a Stenson or a Keimer with, with, uh, McElroy, you know, who, yeah. they're so level-headed, and you never see their expression change, and then McElroy can kind of be the, go a bit crazy around them just quickly on that I actually disagree I think they were a fantastic partnership they just they both failed to fire early on in the event and they both did grow in and start playing a lot better as the event progressed and I thought it was a good partnership that just didn't click from the very beginning and I'd like to see it again in future Ryder Cups I'd say they will play play together again but I, you know I, like I'd say Stenson and Rose are going to play together forever they will never be separated ever, and I think, ever ever bang you found your pairing mm. and you know, I think that's. I don't think we found a pairing with McElroy to go. 
bang, that works. Now, yeah, I think yeah. they will try McElroy and Garcia, and they might, might try McElroy and Keimer in, in future years, but I don't think this found a perfect partnership. Yeah, it's, it's not a lockdown partnership yeah, yeah. like Stanson Rose, yeah, yeah. Well, talking about perfect partnerships and having a lockdown for years and years to come, and you don't have to look too far for the Americans to have that in, in Patrick Reed and um, oh, yeah. Jordan Spieth. Now, we've given... You know, quite rightly, and I think a lot of people have given a lot of hard, you know, conversations about Patrick not Reed not and his, you know, top nice five team. and all the rest. But I have to say, if he plays like he did over the weekend, then perhaps his uh, prophecy of a top five isn't too far off. But yeah. I just thought that one of the bits that I loved about Patrick Reed over the weekend was embracing the crowd and just yeah. geeing them up. I mm. thought this is fantastic, you know, because it was friendly. It was there was. It was getting him going, he was trying probably to get his team going, but it was just, there was a bit of a friendly bit of kind of, oh, get in there, that's... And I, I talked last week saying that there wasn't enough, you know, not quite venom, but there isn't enough needle in it. And I think when he's got going, and, he, I, and mm-hmm. I, think, I think whoever he was playing held his putt, and they were all cheering, going mad, and then he held his putt, and there was a bit of, like, mild applause, yeah, and, he, yeah. and he turned around and started giving them the shush sign. I thought that was fantastic. It was Stanson. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was Stanson. But as one commentator said about Reed, said if they had, if the US team had 12 Reeds, they would, they'd win that Ryder Cup, or be very damn close. He brought, he brought so much passion to it, and um, you might not always like his methods, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but my God, like, you got to respect his passion and drive to win, and and he got he got his his own individual results and in in the team format with Reed as well. Yeah, I actually think I actually think it, it passed friendly as well. I thought there was a bit of there was aggro in that celebration because some guy was giving him a bit of jip on the first team. Remember <laughs> saying, uh, "To practice your putting after yeah. he missed the tiddler the night before." And I think there was a bit of aggro in that, but like I loved it. I thought it was great. Like if. Alder does it all the time and the one thing about it is it's very very difficult to play against it's mm. very difficult to play against a guy who's fist pumping and shouting because mm. you want to shut him up and the only way to shut him up is to win holes but if you can't win holes then you're just going to have to pull up with it for the day and I think I think Stenson found it difficult against him I think like Stenson was getting a bit browned off and the problem is you get browned off and then it's hard to play a proper game then they're winning Exactly. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought that the quote from his uh, wife, who I think is also his caddy, was uh, Jesus Patrick. Would you calm down? We can't. You know, you're going to incite a riot here, and we can't protect you. I think was he saying he said something. She said something along the lines of, you know, we're in their country. Yeah, 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 their country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I did yeah. like that too. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved if they had asked if Europe was a country. Yeah, like I, I would have loved to seen. <laughs> I would have loved to seen a bit more of that passion from the rest of the team, and I think probably had results gone bit favourably for them. Like, I know he kind of... Like, we talked last week about people going over the line with Monty and that his dad had to leave the course. Like, that's gone over the line. I don't think Reid went over the line. I think he was just getting... I, I don't think the crowd did either. I think it was right on that kind of point where you want where you wanted that little bit of just bubbling under the surface, so, and it's right there. Like, I don't think the crowd had an issue either no. with him. I think you're right. I, I think it was a bit of a, the, the, like a pantomime, and it was the villain in the pantomime. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, yeah, brilliant. You know, and then I think when he... When I think when he was hitting drives in the next few holes and he was hitting irons and I think when he was missing putts, the whole crowd were going back to him going, shh. <laughs> so it was brilliant. It was well, I, I thought it added to it. And I have to say, when you see Bubba Watson on the first, who was getting the whole crowd up and moving, yeah. I thought the Americans didn't do enough of it. I think yeah. I would have been trying to get all 12 in the, especially where you're 10, whatever, 10, 6 down going into the singles. Get the crowd going. Yeah. Get yeah. your own crowd going. But like, yeah. try and get some atmosphere. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um, I think 
one thing that affects the American players is I think the President's Cup kills them a bit um, because the President's Cup, the Ryder Cup is a much tougher form of golf. It's um, you know you only get eight players out in each session. In the President's Cup, all the players go out. They all go out. There's, you can you can pander to players' egos and stuff like that. You don't have to bench someone. And I think it becomes a bit pally pally and it loses the edge. And I think in the Ryder Cup, it's much tougher. It's much more. It's nearly a much more aggressive form of golf. And I think Reed Reed has never been exposed to a President's Cup, and I think that that was his. That was kind of he just jumped into the deep end there. And they they are talking about should they change the format of the Ryder Cup to the Presidents Cup, but should it be the other way around? Should they change the Presidents Cup to the Ryder Cup format? To yeah, match- I, 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 well, I think so. I think like as I said, I think the Presidents Cup. It's I I'd hate to see the Ryder Cup go down that road because yeah. I think the great thing about the Ryder Cup is you do have to bench four players. You and have the to tactics. get these guys. You have to turn around to these guys and say, you're not playing today. And and they have to suck it up and actually take the hit to their ego. Like you saw G-Mac, he wasn't happy, but mm. he saw it was for the good of the team. Whereas I don't think the American guys like when that happens. Does, Whereas, that, does that involve the captain more then? And how good the captain is and kind of show how important it is to have a good captain that he can manage these massive egos and get them, like McGinney did, and got them to believe in the system. And McDell was happy, well, not happy, but he accepted his role of, his reduced role of when he wanted to play all five matches. And, uh, you know, so that's that's where that's where the captain really comes in as an important part of the thing, rather than the Presidents Cup, where it's just everyone plays. Yeah, I think the Presidents Cup there's no captain's role. Where I think in the Ryder Cup, it, 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 it is an important role. Well, yeah, that's why that's why they're actually talking about. Like, I saw lots of people calling for Freddie Couples to be the next Ryder Cup captain because he does it in the Presidents Cup. But I think someone like Couples would be a terrible captain in a Ryder Cup because I don't think he. Freddie's very kind of easy breezy, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. think he'd actually have the. The mental fortitude to actually turn around to guys and say you're not playing, blah blah blah. Well, pr- pr- pretty soon after the the decision and the trophy was handed over, I think Phil pretty much walked off the stage and walked into the press conference and walked into a storm of controversy. And his comments about Tom Watson's captaincy and not following the pod system of Azinger, sour grapes. Should he? Is he right? Is the Faldo and Monty, and let's face it, Faldo should probably keep his mouth closed at the moment about comments that he was making over the weekend. But Faldo and Monty, and a lot of other people have come out and criticised Phil at this stage. He only had two points. He uh, didn't play particularly great over the weekend. Maybe he didn't have the opportunity. But um, was it a fair criticism? Is it justified? I, I, I think there probably is the, the timing of when he did it probably was a bit harsh especially with the Watson they were, they were obviously all lined up all 12 players and Watson was beside them and someone pointedly asked Mickelson about the 2008 Ryder Cup and what worked then and he could have said well listen that's a different Ryder Cup and you know we have to go home and we have to sit down with the PGA and review and what mm. things worked then and let's review it but no all out they came straight out and said we used pods in, in 2008. We did, you know, we were all fully invested. And I think this is one thing that Watson should take criticism for is he didn't involve the players. The players, the pod system, if anyone hasn't read the book, it's cracking the code. And so the team was obviously made up of 12 and they're split into three groups of four. And within those fours, I think, it's either, yeah, three groups of four. And within those groups, they all decide who's going to play which. So within your pod of four players, Phil might say, well, why don't myself and Bradley play today because it's four balls? And then Phil might say, listen, I'm going to be wrecked in the afternoon. Hunter, why don't you play with Bradley? So they asked him about 
you know, this this system. And then they came back to him and said, well, was this used uh, this year? And he went, no. But interestingly, the thing about the pod system was that Azinger had actually asked for the first time ever to have more uh, more captain's picks. Mm-hmm. And he had a list, he, because I was reading an interview with him afterwards, uh, when this whole thing came out and he was saying that he actually had a list of eight or ten players and he couldn't decide which they were all bad on form and he didn't know and blah 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 and he actually phoned the players in the in, that were in yeah. those pods and said who, who do, do you, you want, want to yeah. be in this and, I think you're and right. they all came back and said was, we want him it was we three pods of three and each pod picked their player yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so they, they picked their own wild card yeah. picks so they, that straight away takes away from the captain and then they all picked who played in the teams now how did actually how, how did they pick if there was Three pods. How did they pick the fourth team to play? Did someone put their hands up, or there was three, there was three pods? Of, there was three pods. Of three, three and three wild cards. That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, there was, three wild cards. Yeah, but no, so he, means, he means for the matches. Like, I mean, so then how, he, how do you split the? There's eight, what, eight matches to go between three uh, pods. Yeah, between three pods on each day. So. Oh, not, not, not entirely sure of the specifics, but it, it it shows that how the players were involved in the decision making process. And Phil, he said he liked that, you know, and they haven't used it since. It doesn't have to be the way they do it, but he was kind of he's showing it as a point to illustrate that the players were involved in the process back then, and they weren't this time, and it felt wrong, and it's a reason. It's a reason they lost the Ryder Cup. I I, I think there's a couple of things. I think what Phil said, I think, is spot on. The the, the criticism. I think mm. they they needed someone to come out and to actually shake things up and to have a go and to cause yeah. a bit of furore. If anything, just mm. for for the American team to actually address their problems. I think, I think the reasons behind it were wrong. I think he had an agenda against Watson, yeah. and he used that as his forum. I don't think he did it for the good of the American Ryder Cup team. I think he did it for the good of Phil Mickelson. He wasn't happy <laughs> about being, he wasn't being happy about being dropped on the Saturday for two games, and he used that as his opportunity to pretend that he was speaking on behalf of the Ryder Cup team, but he was speaking on behalf of himself and having a go at Watson. That's that's the impression I got. I'm going to say the next sentence was a very big lump in my throat, but I think it's probably fair to say we all agree that Tom Watson's captaincy was probably as big a flop as Faldo's in 2008. Mm. Um, looking forward, I called that last week. Do you remember we had our little section? You did, and I actually flop. was looking back yeah, at it. Like, and, uh, Watson would be the biggest flop of the thing. But the, the, the one last thing on it, though, I think you also backed the US, though. I did. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah exactly. That's emotional hedge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the only one, the la- last thing I will say it is. I think this is probably... we asked, You asked the question, James, last week, do we need a US win? I think it was kind of getting to the stage where the Americans are starting to... American publics, and maybe some listeners can get in touch with us, might have been given up a bit on, oh, geez, we're sick of this, we're losing. I think this has now put great focus on Hazeltine. And I think mm. we're going to have this... They're going to have the choo- choosing of the captain, how they do it, what systems they do. And I think we're going to have great focus going into 2016. And I think we have a bit more excitement about it than we possibly might have had. The one, the one thing I find funny is that for, like, in the late 70s or kind of even early 70s, the Americans all talked about them losing interest because they couldn't stop winning the bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> now they can't stop losing the bloody thing and now they're losing interest again. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Very, hard to, very hard to find a middle ground for them. I'm going to ask this uh, to each of you very quickly um, because we are running out of time and we could probably put another three podcasts together, but we do have to wrap this up now. Um, so, Barry, I want you to tell who you think should be the captain for America in Europe in 2016 in Hazeltine. Freddie Couples and Darren Clark. And I see Lee Westwood today, just before we came out on air, has actually backed Darren Clark openly yeah. for I, it. I think, he'd be, I think he'd be great. I think the Americans like him. And um, 
to like his kind of his style. So I, I think he'd be a great captain. Would you be a bit afraid of that? You know, sexy shiny suit that's very tight would uh, you know not go down too well in America. Like he was looking very trim. He's obviously uh, no comment on the fashion. <laughs> I thought the Americans bombed in the fashion this week. I thought Darren and the Europeans kicked ass in the fashion this week. Um, um, good job, Glenn Muir, on the European uniforms. I thought the the lads look great. Bobby, same question. Who do you think America need or will appoint, and who will Europe appoint as captain? I think they should appoint Azinger again. Back up Mickelson's talk. Get the pod system. Get them focused. I think he'd be brilliant captain. I think he'd be, and I'd bring back the excitement. And Europe, I'd go Jimenez. And Azinger has actually come out today and said, "I'm I'm available if I if the phone is picked up, I'd be willing pick to up do the phone. it." Pick up the phone and ring him. <laughs> well, you come on, pick yeah, it up. Yeah, I know. I think what they need to do as well, the states is, and, and Azinger actually said it today, is he said that they need to look at the system that Europe have in place of um, breeding vice captains. So have vice captains under a captain, and that vice captain then goes on to become the captain. And I think. As Bob says, I think they need to put someone like Azinger in charge and have someone like Steve Stricker under him again. Mm. And then, like, Stricker was vice-captain this time, so he saw how not to do it. And if he did it under Azinger, he'd see how to do it. And then someone like Stricker comes in, and then you, and then they move on from there. That's a great point. Yeah, I, know, I agree. I think that's good. That's a good point. That'd be a great idea. The uh, the water carrier who I didn't see at all over the weekend was poor Carrington. He obviously <laughs> was cleaning up the... Uh, the, 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 the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, look... As I say, we could talk about this. I think it ranked one of the best. Um, I thought it fizzled out a little bit in the afternoon yeah. of the, the singles, but it wasn't a, up there for me as a Miracle of Medina or, or perhaps previous ones. But in it drama was certainly terms, up yeah. there. Like. In quality of golf terms, I think it was probably the best. Um, and finished off beautifully by uh, Donaldson with that cracking wedge shot into a foot. Going I thought it was one of the more disappointing Ryder Cups now, I have to say. I agree, yeah. I, was I, think, after the, I think after the first morning four balls, it never looked like anybody but Europe. Saturday morning was brilliant when that we had that match that was 21 under and there was birdies gone over. The, yeah, the play, that was, yeah, yeah. The play switched from Friday foursomes in the wind and they were all mm. chopping it up and they couldn't hit greens and they were hitting it a rough. Then they came out on Saturday morning, no wind, and it was brilliant. But I think after Friday, uh, Saturday afternoon and we went 10-6 ahead, it was a home in, 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 in Scotland. It was game over, really, and I think I think it did fizzle out a bit, you know. Although you and Murray did say it was the greatest Ryder Cup ever, so I'm sure whatever whatever Sky say, it must must be true. <laughs> well, there's only one way you can go after the Ryder Cup, and that's Dunhill. <laughs> Barry, this week's uh, competition, the Alfred Dunhill Cup. Yeah, um, we'll just very really quick, very quick, really quick. We're way over thirty time. second preview. This is a this is a great little tournament to watch on TV. You've got uh, three courses uh, hosted on St Andrews, Carnoustie, and Kings Barn. So on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, all the pros play in a pro-am on one round on each of the three courses. And then the top X amount of pros and the pro-am teams go to play the final round on Sunday in St. Andrews on the old course. 60 pros and top 20 amateur teams. Excellent. Good back up there, Bob. So um, it's a good one to watch if you like uh, Lynx Golf, which I do. So I'll be uh, sucking it up a bit. A couple of picks for the week. We're going to hold them, Barry, and we're going to tweet them because we're way, way over time. So tweet the the, the best. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, we'll do that. Because we are way over time. And that's just going to simply say to everybody who's been listening, thank you so much for a wonderful week of... uh, of the Ryder Cup I've really enjoyed it I've really enjoyed the debate any opinions get on to us at, uh, at Podcast GTS thank you for listening and we'll talk again next week bye James bye bye yeah. well you're fine bye bye